A what? We bought a mic. We bought a mic. T Nelson. We bought a mic. We bought a mic. Michael Jackson. All right, that was good. Uh, was it Jackson or Jordan? Welcome to. I think it was. We Jeffries. bought a mic. Uh, yeah, that's what it was. Hey, uh, welcome everybody. I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And I'm Drew T. Nelson. <laughs> the best voice actor fucking alive. Today on, on the show, serious. we are reviewing the new Pixar film, Incredibles 2. And before we get to that, we're going to be talking about a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, we have we have some other stuff. Don't worry. E3 was this week. See, World this Cup is what we do. Up. We, we bury do. the leads, which is why we should be burying this first thing we're starting with. Because it, the first time me and Hunter did it solo, it was a massive hit. Millions of people have been like coming up yeah. to me on the street saying, recast more sitcoms from the early 2000s. I, I wanted to bring in my own little list of... Um, of office recast i was inspired by the episode that i wasn't on um but it's a long list and it's a lot to get through did you so hear I'm that just gonna, we, we inspired him yeah man i'm That's just gonna what we do we're I'm kind just, of an inspiration to everyone i'm just gonna kind of shout out the the main ones because it would just take too long to go through all of them so uh michael my pick was henry winkler jim i had kumail nanjiani for uh dwight i picked jesse plemons kelly i had aubrey aubrey plaza ryan Peter Dinklage, the Oscar. See, I, I don't know. How I okay, Peter Dinklage, dude. Dinklage is Ryan. That'd be so funny. I think that that would be really funny. I think, I think he would be a good Todd Packer. Like okay, a, a guy who just comes in and wrecks shit. Like I actually, yeah. I actually, we uh, Lee and I put someone for Packer too. We had Vince Vaughn or Kyle Mooney. Hmm. You know who would uh, Kyle Mooney? Kyle, way, way, way. In a Bruce Chandling type uh, performance, <laughs> I think Kyle would be like a good Gabe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I think that. Uh, shit, sorry. Who are you? Who are you just saying? Packer. Oh I wait, think, no. Oh, no. I think the best, uh, the best Packer replacement would be Danny McBride. Ooh, he's definitely. a good, he's yeah, a good that's, chaotic. That's a guy. good. That's a good Packer. Okay, Oscar. I had Dave Bautista. <laughs> 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 what? what was you thinking there? This list brought to you by a dartboard. <laughs> <laughs> For Andy, we put Chris O'Dowd or Sam Rockwell. Okay. Sam yeah. Ro- I think Sam Rockwell would be really good. I, I like Andy Samberg as Andy. I yeah. just feel like he's so over the we, top and zany. We talked like about that one, No, too. I think Ken Marino is, is the, the, the guy. For Toby, David Cross. Okay. That's good. Yeah. I really I think actually I kind of consider David Cross. I believe whenever I was making my list, David Cross is too good at being like kind of crazy, and I think that he would be good somewhere like along the lines of a Nard Dog, but he's too ugly almost. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's so ugly. For for Phyllis, we actually also had Henry Winkler. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it'd be like a dual role. Yeah, like, like a Michael Jack and Jill, Phyllis. Adam oh, Sandler. Jesus. Yeah. Um, Okay, I don't know if there's any more of these that Who is your are worth Dwight? talking about. Uh, for Dwight, we put Zach Galifianakis or Jesse Plemons. Okay, I, Jesse Plemons, I could see. Like, I, I can see Jesse okay. Plemons. Creed, we had Billy Bob Thornton or Larry David. Larry David. <laughs> I, uh, I okay. I think Billy Bob see, could do really well in that role. I think you're right about that. I I like um, my pick of either 
future Jack Nicholson whenever he's even more old and crazy. He's, dude, he's or, so old right now. <laughs> yeah. Or Robin Williams. Just because Robin Williams is just out there. For for Holly, we had Joan Cusack or Jennifer Aniston. Joan Cusack in like the nineties, I think, would be a solid choice because she's she does play that nerdy role. Really Especially good. depending yeah. on who you have to play Michael. Exactly. Like, I was thinking the same that's thing. That's kind of the thing that I came into uh trouble with whenever casting um Jim and Pam, just because yeah, you have to pair them together, like yeah, that's, that's I mean why, that's that's why my other choice of uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, both in their yeah. primes, is I think that's really why good. yeah that's a good one. And that's why I went with Jason Bateman, and Kristen Stewart, just because I feel like both like a little bit younger versions of themselves. Like I feel for, like that would be, have good chemistry. For Meredith, we had Ilana Glazer or Lauren Lapkus as a Meredith. I, I could see I could see Lapkus that she kind of has the same quality because I think I put who did I put as a. I put Kristen Wiig. So Lauren Lapkus and Kristen Wiig both have that kind of like crazy kind of out there while both of them not being attractive yeah, in yeah. any way. You could buy both of them being like perennial alcoholics. I think with I think Jane Lynch. Kids. Jane Lynch is. The I, uh, I'll probably post my full list on Twitter or something. I'll take a picture. It's written down on a piece of paper so I could take a picture of it and just tweet it out for everyone to see at Calderness on Twitter. But we should we should do this uh, more often. I know you guys... Yeah. Want to try to do like Spongebob or something? I, I started doing that the other day because Spongebob is now on Broadway. I don't know if you guys knew this. I saw it. Oh, well, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I saw a video online that it was like Patrick in the, in the fucking show. And then it would be like Patrick on Broadway. And it was just some guy like, ooh. <laughs> um, and it's really fun to imagine who would be the best at playing those like weird... Patrick uh, on Broadway has like a really epic tambourine number where everyone on stage is holding star-shaped tambourines that's it's good. amazing that's fun uh spoiler for that list whenever we do it the definitive perfect spongebob is 1980s martin short and i won't budge on that, that yeah is, that no is you, correct you've right? told me that and that is because you told me you're like we should recast spongebob also by the way the perfect spongebob yeah. is martin short and i was like all right yeah yeah, that, yeah probably you're 70s you're right. steve buscemi yeah 70s no. a little bit yeah. <laughs> okay uh let's move on to the news though the 2018 FIFA World Cup has begun in Russia. So I was kind of thinking maybe I shouldn't watch this because I don't want to be a fucking commie. Um, but, you know. And I'm then a, one I'm day you came to the realization man. that communism is kind of a better choice than democracy. So yeah. We're recording this live from Russia. Yeah. <laughs> and we're here I, uh, with Thomas Mueller. I'm a big, big soccer fuckboy. Um, I think, I mean, the FIFA World Cup is the biggest event in the world. Like, oh, without of any sporting event. Um, so I, I was pretty big on this, but, you know, I am struggling to keep up with the games because of the... The fact that if they want to show them live, it's like a completely different. Yeah, time. there's yeah, a big time difference. They're, they're games in the morning, and I'm not. Uh, I'm not awake. Yeah. <laughs> so overall, I um, I'm pulling for a lot of the South American teams. I'm pulling for Brazil, Argentina, Peru played really well yesterday. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Mexico, let's let's talk about yeah today the Columbia, game that happened. Mexico had a huge upset on um Brazil, on the defending on no, Germany, defending oh, champions yeah, 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 Germany. Germany. Yeah, yeah. Um. And that was nobody really saw that coming. I was really happy for them. Really, I I also really am kind of pulling for South America, except for Uruguay, just because I I hate Suarez. Yeah, but he's, he's a little so, shithead. But he's so good. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, I don't know if you guys really got the chance to see it, but the match that happened um, on Friday uh, between Portugal and Spain honestly might 
have been one of the best football soccer games I've ever seen in my life. Um, we, of course, had Ronaldo with the hat trick. and he All got three his, goals were amazing. Yes, um, and he got his... He got his third goal in the 88th minute, like right towards the end of the game when Spain was just playing like full defense. Everybody was in front of him. He was able to get the free kick, and it was just beautiful, beautiful strike. And also, I also wanted to shout out um, Nacho uh, for Spain. His uh, goal that he scored was one of the most impressive goals I've ever seen. That it would have been the talk of the tournament had Ronaldo not gotten his yeah, hat trick. Yeah, that was really good. And his, yeah, like, but then Ronaldo got the free kick, which yeah, was an incredible his, like, free kick. Nacho's kick though, he kicked the ball from like 35 40 yards out and the ball never went above like a foot off the ground. Like it was Oof. so sick yeah. of a goal. Like it, it, even if you're not a big soccer fan, just look up Nacho's goal in the World Cup game. That the, was incredible. The Brazilian game today versus Switzerland, um it ended 1-1, but Brazil scored a amazing goal. Like the Brazilians are able to put these like crazy spins on the ball. Like they're just masters of that shit. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's a reason why Brazil is favorited to win the world cup, because if you look across the whole team, they pretty much have the best players in the world at every position. And, like, and it's they have to, they have to redeem themselves after last world cup. They got booted seven, one. They, they yeah. fucked up, dude. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was the craziest game I've ever seen. It was sad, dude. Uh, Germany went in. Yeah. You know why they can spin the ball like that uh the coriolis effect they're south oh, of the equator boy. it goes the opposite oh. way so it's, <laughs> it's like flushing a toilet down there um but i mean we're only in group stages right now so it's it's too early to tell like who's the real front runner here um i'm excited to see you know if these heavyweight European teams are able to really bring it. You know, we have Spain, we have Germany, we have England. We haven't um, even seen Colombia play yet. I'm Columbia really excited plays to see, on Tuesday. Yeah, I'm really excited yeah. to see Colombia play. Yeah, uh, just too. because I, of course, James is like one Woo! of the best players yeah. in the world. The, um, the U.S. hasn't played yet either. No, they're they're not. In they the, aren't they're playing. Not in the, they aren't playing at no! all. No, I actually I okay, found it. Turn kind, off the podcast. <laughs> we can't talk about. I this. find it kind of interesting <laughs> watching this World Cup since this is the first World Cup since I've started watching like soccer that. U.S. hasn't actually been the World Cup. They've never been a good team, but they were at least there for you to cheer for them. Um, but the fact that they're not even there this year, like it kind of lends itself more to... I know that the games are early, but I have been trying to wake up earlier in the morning to watch these games and everything, or at least try and catch parts yeah. of them. And it's interesting watching this when it's like, I don't really have a horse in the race. I'm just kind of like cheering for whoever's team style I really like. Um, another thing that we should talk about, because the big news heading into the World Cup, and namely the Spain-Portugal game, was that Spain fired their manager two days before their game against Portugal. Yikes. Like, this was a guy who, um, he took a job at Real Madrid without actually giving the team any kind of notice. So Spain basically said, like, hey, you're fired. Oh yeah, we are in the World Cup in two days, so I guess we gotta Yikes. find a new manager. Um, and it looked like it was gonna be this huge win for them, and then the fact that they came back and got a tie. I'm, I'm I'm interested to see how Spain bounces back if they do bounce back from that Ronaldo goal in the last minutes of the game. Dude, the thing about Ronaldo is he has always struck me as a player who is very selfish on the field, and he never really wants to be a team player because he's like best player in the world pretty much but seeing him play against Spain like he was a member of the Portugal team and I'm very hopeful that this World Cup if he is able to 
be a team player and not be as selfish with the ball and with his playing style, Portugal could win the whole thing. Well, Portugal won uh, the, um, the, UEFA, the UEFA the Euro Championship without Ronaldo. Ronaldo was hurt in the finals. Yeah, I remember that. And that he, was two years the, ago. And Portugal still found a way to win that game. And I feel like that really did kind of help bring the team together because in the past – I mean, Ronaldo does play, like, selfishly uh, in comparison to, like, let's say Messi, who is a guy who always Messi's spreads better. the ball around. Messi, Messi is better. I, I, I think that we all agree on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're both up. They're very they're, close. Oh, I mean, they're both, like, two of the best players of all time. But that being said, um, he's kind of had to, especially on the world stage, had to do everything. It's kind of like we saw LeBron in the finals. Like, well, LeBron has to be on the court for 46 to 48 minutes every game because the supporting cast just isn't there to help him. Like, it's the same type of thing where you have to do whatever is necessary to give your team the best chance to win. Argentina just played against Iceland. That was their first game. And they kind of struggled to be to have the upper hand. Iceland put up a fight, and for a while there, like I think they were scared that they were going to lose. I think um, was it one one? It was one one was yeah. the final. Yep. Um, which Iceland actually last World Cup played Portugal. Interesting enough, uh, and they were able to get a tie from. Um, playing against Cristiano yeah. Ronaldo. So Iceland, they play that kind of same style, same as we saw like with Costa Rica a few years ago where they play like heavy defense and then just as soon as the counter comes, they mm-hmm. just strike on those those moments. I think the possession was heavily in Argentina's favor yeah. in that game. But it's just, it was interesting to see because I don't really think Argentina is a very good team. A lot of their players are really old. Like, I know, we they used to all really play... really rough, We too. used to all play like FIFA World Cup 2010 yeah. and pretty much that same team that was there in 2010 is here in 2018 (laughs) so you can add eight years to all of these players they are all like a little bit past their prime barring except for you could say you could say the same about uh germany actually like close and um, yeah which which the thing is with germany though is that they've always kind of had like a little bit of guys coming in the wing and they do still have that with like Mueller and some of those guys but they they went from schweinsteiger to close to klaus to Mueller, like they've always been Germany has just always been like a perennial powerhouse, much like Spain, where they can just constantly produce yeah. talent. I, I love Germany, but I honestly prefer to root for the underdog. I was really happy with Mexico's win today. Like that it just kind of makes you feel good. Like Germany, they're the defending champions, they're a great team, but you know, you you wouldn't be surprised if they win against Mexico. Like, that doesn't really add any yeah. sort of entertainment value. But when you see a, a team like Mexico really fight for it and get the win, it's really satisfying. Um, but we'll keep yeah. talking about this. You know, the, the World Cup is a month long, so we'll keep up with it as it goes on over in um, Mother Vladimir Putin land. How many games has Trump gone to so far? Uh, none. I saw. Okay, so I did want to bring up before we move on. It was a really good tweet because the first game of the uh, tournament was Russia against Saudi Arabia, and somebody it was just like Russia versus Saudi Arabia. The losers has to respect human rights. Jeez, <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Okay, um, let's move on to E three. Just wrapped up over in L A. Um, overall, like pretty cool conference i don't think there were any huge like revelations to come out of e3 but now nowadays like the video game industry doesn't really um it it doesn't hold e3 as this like 
big event where it's going to unveil everything. No, I mean, all we got was like kind of deeper looks at the stuff that's already been deeper announced. looks, and then there's a couple of little surprises in there. But Nintendo really started the whole train uh, a few years back when they started making their own Nintendo Directs because yeah. they're basically saying. Why do we need this one conference where the attention is split between so many different uh, publishing companies when we could just do our own thing? And now more companies are kind of doing that thing where they're just releasing like first looks and announcements themselves as opposed to using this conference. Do you have uh, of the of all the stuff you saw? Do you have kind of like a favorite upcoming game? Um, I mean, it's it's tough. Uh, Really, I have I have two big ones. Is it Fortnite on the Switch? No. Um, Although Fortnite, Fortnite was the huge at E3. Yeah. They had a fucking presence. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that was, right that was really, it was cool. I mean, I'm excited that it's now on the Switch. I've been able to play it a little bit, just like laying in bed. It's nice. Um, God, so flippant. However, uh, <laughs> my two biggest takeaways, of course, let's talk about Nintendo and Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Um, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, which, of course, they announced that Smash was coming to the Switch, but the fact that we are going to have a Super Smash Brothers game with every single character that's ever that's been in insane. Smash. That's insane. Yeah. Also, like the, new, uh, the new Mario Party also. The new Mario Party Which game also. Which looks a little weird how you can use like multiple Switches to I like move it, around though, the board. It, the way that I see it is that it's like one of those games where there's tons of like... It has the classic Mario Party style, which... Um, I don't know if you guys ever played Mario Party 10 for the Wii U. Um, no, did you ever play think, that? I don't think I did. No, it's not a very good game because it's not really a Mario Party game. Like the way that it works is you and up to four other, up to three other players play together, and you're going against Bowser, and then one other character plays as, or one other person that you're playing with plays as Bowser, and it sucks because Bowser always wins. Like it's almost impossible. Especially, it's easier if you have a group of people, but if you're just playing like one on one, you cannot beat Bowser. Bowser has like so many things that he can just fuck you up. That's with. stupid. Yeah, no, it's just, it doesn't feel like a Mario Party game. And that's why I was excited whenever I saw the actual gameplay for Mario Party for the Switch that it seems like it's a return to form that looks like yeah. an actual Mario Party game with the mini games and everything else that people love about Mario Party. My game of E3 is by far Spider-Man. Okay, yeah, that was my that was my number two. Dude, it looks fucking The, the gameplay perfect. trailer that we saw... Um, looks so good yeah. and it i just i got so i got like goosebumps whenever i, I saw it because after coming off of playing god of war yeah. we were so spoiled with these seamless cutscenes into action back into cutscenes, and the fact that spider-man looks like it has that just as flawlessly. it doesn't it doesn't fully have it it does still cut around um in in the cinematic it doesn't have yeah it doesn't angles, have a content that continues but it camera. looks very seamless yes. like the look of it um, we're not going to be able to talk about God of War today. Um, probably save it for next week. Um, but overall, I think that PlayStation and Sony have really just flexed their exclusives. Like they showed off Last of Us Part Two, looks fucking great, yeah. and then they showed off all of these other upcoming games that just look so weird and out there and creative. And you know, Microsoft and, and Xbox, like they're they're trying to keep up because Nintendo is kind of in their own corner. They're doing their own thing. But Xbox is just really trying to keep up with with um, Sony and PlayStation. And I didn't really see much from them. They have Gears of War, which I don't really care about. But they announced another Halo. And they announced uh, Just Cause 4, which isn't even an exclusive. And they even kind of piggybacked off of Bethesda 
to announce uh, Fallout 76 which and I'm Elder Scrolls 6. Sad. I mean, we talked about it a little bit before on the podcast on uh, earlier yeah. pod about 76. About how it's a bummer that I'm just not excited for that game. Everything that they've released about it sounds like Elder Scrolls Online, which is not what I want. Yeah. But I, again, I'm I'm so excited for Spider Man. I think that game is going to be amazing. Uh, I, I don't know. I I, I want to. I'll reserve ju- judgment until I can actually get my hands on it. Yeah. But just based on how it looks and how I'm picturing it, like um, it just looks so good. Yeah. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to shout out. Of course, we got a little bit more from Kingdom Hearts three, including a release date. Yeah. So uh, again, one more I, side. I don't. I don't <laughs> actually believe that this game is actually going to come out until I have it in my hands. But sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We got to look at Frozen World, which was neat. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Again. Yeah. Can we stop? Oh, that? we also um, got a very extended uh, look at Death Stranding. Yes. Oh, Still yeah. Still couldn't tell you what that game it is. It looks like a FedEx <laughs> delivery <laughs> game. Yeah. Mostly it, it it featured Norman Reedus just kind of walking around with a big old backpack. Uh, <laughs> Box. Th- walking around through very beautiful scenery. Okay. So the thing is with that game is I have no idea what the fuck that game is, but it's Kojima. So I'm going to I'm gonna buy trust. it. Like, I just trust in Kojima. He's just one of those creators where he's almost like a like a a Fincher or a Scorsese mm-hmm. or a Lynch where you're just like I don't know where you're going with this but I'm on just, for the ride. I think it's I'm, hilarious I'm that they were like okay Kojima we want you to show off some gameplay at E3 okay and he's like okay I got you and then it's just a bunch of walking because <laughs> yeah. he was like I'm, I'll, sh- I'll give you gameplay but I don't want to show like anything except just a bunch of walking around which i kind of respect that he's just he's keeping everything about the story of this actual game so under wraps i mean maybe this has like an unbelievably great cinematic story that we just don't i mean i'm sure it does yeah it looks wild it just i i I am really excited for uh death stranding just at least if nothing else just to hear the general buzz about it and hear Mm -hmm. what exactly the feelings are on that game um the other uh another couple games i wanted to shout out were um cyberpunk 2077 i don't know about that one i don't know if you guys saw i'm into a little too much i see it looked like much to me and then by the end of the trailer i was like you know what i'm into that it's It's made by the the people who made the witcher 3 which is i've never actually really gotten extended play of the witcher 3 but it's regarded as one of the best games like of the 2010s yeah so the fact that this game looks like GTA Witcher open world style in like the world of Blade Runner, mm-hmm. I'm I'm in I'm it's on board a, with that. It's definitely more kind of bright than Blade Runner. Oh yeah, I mean definitely, yeah. but that's why I feel like it almost has like uh like a Grand Theft Auto Five kind of feel yeah. to it, where it's like bright and sunny, sunny yeah. but you're also in this like weird neo cyberpunk future kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, there was even actually in the trailer, I don't know if you caught it. There's a direct like callback to uh blade runner where you see a guy sitting at a table eating ramen and two officers walk up oh. behind him it was like it's only lasts for like three seconds but i saw somebody uh nice. post a screen grab from me i was like that's that's really cool um another game i wanted to shout out was uh beyond good and evil 2 which i don't I know if you I guys see much of i don't know if you guys i i i've never played the first beyond good and evil but I was watching the trailer for it during the Ubisoft uh, presentation. It was one of their first ones that they uh, showed trailer of. And, like, I almost thought that I clicked on the wrong stream and I was watching a stream for, like, some kind of new movie that was coming out. It looks extremely (laughs) cinematic. It looks fucking gorgeous. Like, so, so beautiful. One thing that I did hear about that game is that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's hit record company is Mm -hmm. partnering with them. 
Do you guys know what hit record is? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's annoying thing that he does all the time. It's <laughs> it's not that annoying. It's 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 a cool idea where like people. It's like crowdsource content creation. Yeah, it's it's a cool idea. But I, when I think of Joseph Gordon-Levitt and that stupid commercial he did with Hit Record, oh my god, yeah, I, I get that. angry. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure es- it's fine. Essentially, what they're trying to do is like get people to create aspects of this game to like upload creations that will appear in the game i don't know exactly how it's going to happen but it it seems like they're involving people to create pieces of i don't know if it's going to be like music or visual art Hmm. or i I didn't know about that that's that's interesting if nothing else i mean i'm not sure how well that will work and or the extent of it yeah exactly that too like Um, how critical is it going to be to the story or the gameplay or anything like that uh, any last thoughts on E3? Uh, just a couple more uh, Switch games that I saw that excited me. Um, there's this game called Damon X Machina, which looks like this really cool like mech kind of game. It looks like... Um, and then at the end of it, Matt Damon comes out and saves the day, right? Damon uh, X Machina. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, so, uh, no, it looks I'm like this really cool like leave. mech build game. I'm sorry. We'll get back to things that you actually know what you're talking about here, Drew. <laughs> very soon um but uh i don't know you guys never played xenoblade but there's a part wherever you get this really cool mech suit almost and it kind of the gameplay that they showed really looks a lot like that and that's the best part of that game basically the suits that you're in look like you're in gundam suits whenever they first started showing the trailer i thought it was a gundam game and i was so fucking hyped but it's not but still um we have mario tennis aces coming out uh in the next week or two coming out pretty soon so i will give you my review of that when that comes out cool all right Let's get to what we've been listening. We've got but, new music from yeah. Nas. So, yeah, uh, the last three weeks we've been coming at you really steady with the coverage of these seven song albums produced by Kanye. And what do you know? We're so dependable. We're back at it again yeah. covering another seven song album. Summer one. of Yay, Volume 4. Yeah, well, and there's going to be a fifth, right? I who, think there's a who fifth is one coming. I'm not sure, but I heard there is a fifth. I mean, I would believe it. But yeah, this is we're nearing the end of Yeezy season, and this is uh, coming fresh off of the, the album with Cuddy, the collab album. This is mostly a Nas solo album. Uh, Nas is a guy who's had an interesting career arc. He kind of started at his high point and has been kind of moving downwards mm-hmm. since he, I mean, at one point it was in between him and Jay-Z for who was going to take the throne from after Tupac and Biggie right. both left. And um, I mean, when Illmatic came out, he kind of did have the throne well, for yeah, a the thing, stint. The thing about Nas is he was, in his prime, a better rapper than Jay-Z ever has mm-hmm. been, but that's not what it's all about. Like, Jay-Z is a better marketer. He's a better cultivator of people who are good at making beats he's better at everything else aside from rapping so guess who wins you know yeah um uh but yeah Nas. uh he's been quietly still releasing music uh in the meantime to not a lot of commercial success uh and kanye produced this entire album for him it's another seven song it's another breezy short listen and it's yet again 20 it's, 26 minutes <laughs> and yet again it's like an incredibly solid album in my opinion like i the beats on this album i can't fault um if i have any problems they're more on Nas's side but what do you guys think about this um my take on it is i honestly pretty similar to the last couple albums where it's good but not as good as it should be when you when you have such a shortened album wouldn't it make more sense for like every song to be really really solid and great kind of but i feel like i'm coming to terms with this whole like what kanye is doing this whole yeezy season 
like now that we have 28 songs out i it's like an overarching thing i've just i've come to be more impressed than i was originally because i mean yeah the fact that he's put out four albums in four weeks and they're all solid is yeah, yeah really impressive solid, and they're yeah. all solid and they all have at least three songs that are i think absolute bangers yeah, yeah that i yeah. think are like approaching perfect and i think that that is something that only a few artists in the world can do yeah no, and they I, all sound very distinct yeah they do it does and i was gonna bring that up is that like it's i would almost say because once again i feel like kanye's verses on this album are better than his verses in his solo album which is kind of an odd choice that he's seems like he's saving his best feature, his best work for his features on these albums. Mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of odd. Um, but like you said, there's, I think, at least three songs on here that I absolutely love. Um, Not For Radio with, shout out to uh, Zero Seventy Shake. Back oh, here seven again. Oh. Seven oh Shake. Oh, oh, seven oh Shake. Zero Seven Zero <laughs> Shake. Yeah, the hook on Not For Radio is incredible. Yeah. It's a... F- it's a and really really good beat. Like I, yeah. I get it. No, it's an. There's awesome a beat. lot of good and beats on. Cop this shot thing. the kid is a, yeah. a fucking dope yeah. beat. Like I, really really good. I, I think White Label and Bonjour are both great songs. I really uh, like everything. Too. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, That's what, this really is. A yeah, really what I'm solid saying is I, think, I really um, like this Adam album. and Eve is my favorite. Exactly. So we've just gone through almost every song title on the album. So this is a good album. I think almost objectively, obviously not objectively. Um, personally the issues that i have are like i said they're more on naz's side but i think this a little bit of this may rest on kanye um he is notoriously a really good collaborator like he tailors his style for push a t he gives push a perfect push a t beats yeah he, does. he gives kid cuddy great kid cuddy beats i think that he kind of underestimated or overestimated Nas's flexibility. Nas is not a flexible rapper. He and he needs a very specific tempo. He he kind of raps the best way I can put it is he kind of raps in like fast cursive. He he's, it's <laughs> kind of like machine gun and it just goes and goes and goes and it's he's not he's not like the new style of rapping involves a lot more pauses. Yeah. And these beats are kind of tailored for more of that style and so sometimes it sounds really clumsy. Or at like, least at least like if you are going to rap in that fast pace like have a little bit of a flow and have some parts where you can kind of where you go down to half speed for like a vert for like a line or two in your verse like uh like kendrick does that sometimes where like uh look at look at dna like there's parts of dna where it's just in your face loyalty loyalty in your DNA, like just yeah. going at you like fast pace but then he kind of brings it down a little bit just like a line or two in the song just to kind of bring that flow back a little yeah. bit to it. It's yeah. Ba- ba- I feel like Nas is just, he's from a past era exactly. and he hasn't adapted the same way. Push yeah. That's, has. that's the thing. He's kind of a, a boom bap guy and he has a very specific tempo that he absolutely kills at. And outside of that tempo, he definitely sounded uncomfortable on a couple of songs that have really, really great beats, but I don't think that they were great for Nas. I think that he needed, uh, there are a couple songs where the tempo is exactly perfect for him. Uh, like I think, White Label was White Label seems like it's like right in yeah, his and, bed and, and Adam and Eve even is if, another. Even if that's not necessarily like White Label and Adam and Eve aren't my favorite songs on the album, but when he raps on those songs, it sounds like it's just yeah, right in his. It really wheelhouse. yeah, it's a cadence thing because these beats are like none of them are like really really old school boom bap, which is what uh, Nas is, but. It's just if you can match the tempo of that, you can bring in as much innovation on the beat side as you want. Um, and and that his lyricism 
over that type of beat but updated is absolutely filthy i think i really like the idea of all four projects being kind of like coming um, together yeah like yeah. umbrellaed by this overarching kind of effort yeah. for kanye to put out like Did you essentially out- 28 songs in a month um it's crazy, Did man. Did you find out if there is uh, another album coming out next week I or not? C- I couldn't find the source, but I had I'd seen a tweet or something, okay. so if, I don't, I don't if, know if for If I were sure. to guess, I would guess maybe this is ramping up for some kind of 070 Shake project. Just yeah. because she is, I mean... She's had a feature on... If this is the last... She's had a hot month. If this, if this is or the, the last dream, one... Or The Dream has had some features on here. <laughs> if this is the last one, I, I think it is a nice kind of bookend, because yeah. you have... You start off with Pusha T, who's kind of coming up, and then you end with this guy who's kind of like more of a legend. And then in well, between, you Pusha have... Pusha T is pretty old, too. Yeah, Pusha T's like 40. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's but... he's 40, but he's not like... He's he not is... like a legendary no, he's very, guy. Well, and he's very adaptive in his style and flow over the years. Uh, I, I'm interested to know uh, how you guys compare to my list, but what's your order of this I mean, Daytona is definitely the best. And then after that, I'd probably put Kid See Ghosts and then Nas. And yeah, then I would guess. All right. Yeah. All right. Then, yeah, we yeah. have the same list. I th- yeah. It's, Kid See Ghosts is just, I've been listening to that album more and more, and yeah, it's really growing it's, on me. It's close, and it really depends on what I listen to. I think certain albums have like higher highs and lower lows, but I would put Daytona at number one, mm-hmm. definitely. And it's crazy, but I might put Ye at the bottom, which is like an, a really yeah. ridiculous thing. But like like we said last time, if I mean, there's no need to wonder why that's a weaker project. It's because he scrapped it and redid it in a couple weeks. That's it'd the be, only reason. It'd be interesting to kind of put all four of these albums in a playlist together and kind of listen to them on shuffle I actually, and see how it works. <laughs> I was planning on whenever this whole summer of Ye all of this ended, putting it all in a playlist yeah. together and shuffling through and kind of seeing... Because Despite it all sounding distinct from each other, it all has that Kanye production that it would it, still yeah, flow song to song yeah. pretty seamlessly together. That's Yeah, that's kind of like I, I started off really strong on Pusha T's and then Ye came out and I was like, oh, no. And then Kids See Ghost came out and I was back up and now this comes out. And at this point, how much shit can you talk about 28 songs that are mostly good? Like, yeah, no. Yeah, I don't I don't I can't expect like. 28 songs to be the equivalent of two My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasies worth of greatness. It's just, That's it's, just, that is impossible. It's odd to me, though, that Kanye... I mean, Kanye had to have known that Ye wasn't very good. The fact that... Because, I mean, think. If he had a Yeezus or even, like, a Life of Pablo in his pocket or something like that, probably Yeezus is more in line because it's a shorter album. If he had his own album and he was producing all this stuff, wouldn't he release his album last? Instead of, like, the second following up Daytona, which is, like almost like universally kind of thought of as mm-hmm. the best of these four even if it's not your personal favorite yeah, not if you're that, anthony fantano yeah what did fantano think he of? gave kids see ghosts a 10 i i'm not gonna lie i love kids see ghosts i think it's a great album kids see ghost and daytona 10, for me though. it's not a 10 out of 10 but kids see ghost is closer to daytona than i think i don't know it's yeah it's, it's closer the, that line is closer than i think it is with a lot of people i think i think you're you're probably right there that when i first listened to kids see ghosts i was like kind of saying that 
it was dramatically lower in quality than Daytona. But the more I listen to it, I'm like, it kind of rivals it, just, it for that Yeah, like spot. this song, some of those songs just get really, really stuck in your head. Like I've just had like Fourth Dimension stuck in my head all day earlier today. Like yeah. it's just all across that album. I think it's really solid. All right, we, we have a bunch of other stuff to get to. So um, did, did you want to bring up? Yeah, briefly, some... I just wanted to talk about, uh, so uh, Black Metal... Uh, or Metal Gaze, however you want to call their Black Gaze, whatever the fuck you want to call this band. Death Heaven has a new album coming out. Scream Dream? Scream, Dream, Dream Screamo. Dream, Dreaming Time. Um, they have a new album coming out called Ordinary Corrupt Human Love coming out next month, July 13th. And they released a couple of singles off of that album, Canary Yellow and what was the name of the other album? Um, I'm blanking on the other one, but I really wanted to talk about Canary Yellow because Canary Yellow is a fucking beautiful song. It's like about 12 minutes or so, so it's almost half of the length of these seven-song rap albums that we're getting. But the way that this song flows is so... It's beautiful, and it's also just very angsty and punchy, but not in like an immature way. You can tell this is a band that they're coming into their fourth major album at this point. Like, they aren't still the same angsty band. I don't know. I, I don't really know which your, what y'all's relationship is. With, I just, I uh, listened Death to Heaven. Sunbather. That was the only one Sunbather I got Sunbather is, it's, probably their most accessible album i would say just because it is like yeah. it has some serious like alt rock kind of influences in sunbather the screaming and though is just it's tough to listen to that i see i actually and, i love his voice um the screamer's voice in death heaven um but i mean i would honestly recommend canary yellow because there's some elements of that song that do sound like they fit in with sunbather namely the song dream house the first song on sunbather which is one of my favorite uh songs on the album um but they are coming off of new bermuda their five song album from 2015 which is actually my favorite death heaven album I just think that that whole album flows so well together and it's really just a beautiful beautiful punchy piece but i i definitely recommend canary yellow if you're a metal f fan um it's shoegaze yeah metal shoegaze they definitely have lots of shoegaze kind of bringing back a little bit of that alt rock kind of influence the, that the they thing have about, the thing about shoegazing though is that shoegazing doesn't really cross over into like metal at all shoegazing is more like i don't know you could probably put um what like uh my bloody valentine or yeah. even like smashing pumpkins like you i wouldn't consider those bands like metal bands oh well i mean they're not really metal that's why technically their genre is black gaze and okay. not true shoegaze because it's like, it's like black metal genre. shoegaze but the thing is with death heaven songs is that there are like defined segments to their songs but they all kind of flow seamlessly together where they'll just it's almost very like jam band like where there will be like one riff on the guitar or something and then they just go like into that riff and just kind of jam yeah. onto it for like the next three minutes of that song and then that riff will get like slightly changed and then turns into a completely kind different riff and it's it's a little bit proggy but it's not as I don't think it's as juxtapose those different parts of a certain song it doesn't sound like you can listen to the beginning of one of their songs and then fast forward three quarters in and you can kind of see how it got there mm -hmm. whereas some prog songs namely like coheed or completely something like that different. like it does sound completely different which i mean i'm a fan of both of those 
whenever bands can do either one of those because the thing is with Prague, you can't just play a completely different song. It still has to fit in there somehow. Um, but yeah, I, I recommend Def Heaven. Uh, if you guys haven't checked them out, if you're not familiar with them, they're one of the most popular black metal bands. They're kind of blacklisted, blacklisted by a lot of people because a lot of people think that they're too poppy. Yeah, for which, a, but that's, which is hilarious. No, but I mean, they're that's genuinely the sound that catchy. They're going for, no, they're though. genuinely like catchy, which isn't what a, a lot of people are like, no, I just want walls of solid noise coming at me for <laughs> 45-minute yeah. songs. I, I appreciate Def Heaven a lot more than I listen to them. Like, I, whenever yeah. they're on, I'm like, wow, this, I is, agree with this is something. But then I don't put them on because I don't... That's yeah. just not what I gravitate towards. See, Def... I will say that Black Gaze is a horrible name for a genre. It's not a good name for a genre. I actually didn't know that that name for a genre exists until I just looked it up just right now. Makes but me, makes me think of Moonlight. Um, you had a defining moment on the sand on the beaches um, of Miami. Yeah, yeah, that's how they got their name. Was they got a Death Heaven blowjob? <laughs> it was a handy. hand job. Oh shit, my bad. All right, well. Uh, La La Land. Let's move on to what we've been watching. We got a good bit of stuff, so let's try to breeze through it as quick as we can. First, Legion had its finale, season two finale, and I think the show is trying to like evolve into something else going into season three. And it's really, in a lot of ways, it's going in this really cool, weird, very comic booky way. Like we have these panels come in like comic book panels come in and we have like actual like moving animated drawings yeah the the opening that we have in the season finale was so yeah it was like a the coolest battle like yeah yeah, of just color like levitating and just singing singing, like (laughs) mouthing these words where there's this drawing of a beast behind him it was it was great but i i I kind of think that all of the pieces kind of clicked at the end there for the most part. And it, it just seems like the show is ramping up to reinvent itself a little bit into season three. Well, I mean, this season finale made a bold fucking choice because this whole season, I feel like, has been teetering this line of like, well, David, he's he's a he's not a good person, but like, he's still the good guy. Like, and that all kind of comes together and we even, it finally gets connected. Well, there was a little bit of a connection earlier in the season, but it really gets connected together. These John Hamm voiceovers that we've heard with David telling himself, I'm a good person. I deserve love. And the way that that comes together where it's showing like, yes, he's a superhuman, but he's still like a schizophrenic. Like Mm -hmm. he still is mentally ill and spoilers for Legion season two. He rapes Sid. He, like, fucking rapes Sid. Like, he's not a good person anymore. Hmm. Like, this show, like, they made a fucking choice where he basically drugged her. He, he like, mind-fucked her into thinking that she yeah, was... so crazy. You, like, that she was just... No, like, you they guys are good at everything. They actually have sex, though. Like... No, they had sex. Like, he, with his projected body, which is the only way that they can have sex. But it, I, I got the idea that it was all happening in her head. Because he wasn't at, if he wasn't physically there, he like infiltrated her mind. So I guess in her mind it did happen, which is really fucked to think. Yeah, that's still like yeah. fucked regardless. Yeah. Like that's still just something that you can never come back from. And the fact that now we're kind of left with this point in the show where we're thinking like, okay, is it's this cyclical nature of is David 
a bad person and that's why his friends turned on him or did his friends turn on him and that made him a bad person and we're kind of left at this point where we're not really sure where exactly it's going there's these different timelines that we have going on and not exactly sure whose motives are correct or whatever but just the fact that we saw that scene and it was played it was the most like it was up there with Blade Runner 2049 for like the least stimulating sex yeah. scene I've ever seen in my life where it was just it kind Very of repulsed me. Speak yeah. For yourself about Blade Runner, dude. <laughs> it just like it repulsed me watching it just like dude, like fuck David. Like yeah. I don't think that he can come back from this. Like he's no, turning he's, into a villain. He's full on villain at the end of this and I'm I'm kind uh, of on board for I'm, it. I'm curious. <laughs> I'm, I, no, I am because the thing is, is even with shows like Breaking Bad and all these other shows, like yeah, well, Walter White like fucking killed this kid and he let Jesse's girlfriend die, but like still a good guy, still providing for his family. Like it's still like that kind of thing where I kind of want to see a character like in Legion season two. David, he's broken bad. Like at this point, by the end of the season, he I don't think that there's any coming yeah. back from this. Um. Yeah, I don't think I like the season as much as I like season one just because of the extended episode count. Yeah. It kind of meandered a little too much, but at least it was doing something different. And, you know, Noah Hawley, like, I just hope he doesn't lose his touch because pretty much everything that Hawley has done so far has been great. Yeah, I, I do. I have gotten a little bit colder on it in this uh, last few episodes just because... The show is just, there are moments. It was too convoluted. With, yeah, but there were moments in the season finale. When they had the opening, I was like, yes, yeah, fuck yes, yeah. I'm into this. <laughs> but there's just these huge exposition dumps at time and what? these moments that it it's trying to weigh between being a psychological TV show and also being a Marvel show. And it's it season two was a little bit messier for do me. So think, I, I do agree with you. It's season one is better overall think, product. Do you think this show would work if Holly wasn't making it? Like, do you think if he handed it off to someone else that it would still be good? No, honestly, I, I really don't it because I feel it. like, I feel like the best aspects of this show are straight up out of Noah, Noah Holly's yeah, mind. Just going full, like maybe would it be as convoluted and as all over the place, but I don't necessarily even think that'd be better just because the highs of the show are on, are on par with, the best stuff on TV, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, I agree. All right. Let's move on to a little movie that Hunter and I saw. We tried to go see Tag. We tried to go see Tag. Yeah. We had a screener. What the frick happened? And uh, yeah. it was what the full. Frick happened? It was full. They, it was full. We had a screener. Them. And then shout out to uh, the screener company that they sent more. They sent overbooked like, it. They overbooked it. So we so. were like, well, we're already at the theater. Let's go see what else is playing. And guess what? It was Ocean's 8. So we Mine? good thing we had movie pass. We just movie passed it up. Um, and before we get into Ocean's 8, I just want to do a quick little two minutes on 12 and 13 because I, re- I rewatched them uh, this week. Kind of like I-, I watched 12 right before I watched 8 and then I watched 13 right after I watched 8. So a lot of oceans swimming around in my mind. And <laughs> You're basically swimming in an ocean. Yeah. And then, That's you know, we up. watched 11 like a couple months ago when we did our mm-hmm. Logan Lucky episode. So all these movies are very fresh in my mind. And I'll say that. 11 is amazing. Like 11 is just everything you could possibly want out of a, a, a heist movie. And Soderbergh infuses all of the style into it. It's just so punchy and s- snazzy. And like the, the fucking actors just ooze charisma 
off of these things and, and you you just have such a good time hanging out with them and it's almost like uh, a movie about making movies it's like getting a team together and pulling off this crazy crazy heist and like getting away with it and then 12 comes in and oceans 12 is a full-on subversion of what you'd expect from an oceans 11 sequel it's these guys coming back and feeling like they're forcing it and feeling like um they are just doing this just to cash a, a check but they're basically being forced by terry benedict terry benedict is like the guy that they robbed in the in oceans 11 and he, he in this metaphor in my head, he's basically like the studio, Just the production like, hey, studio coming in. Soderbergh, you got you to make another and, one now. Yeah, and being like, hey, you guys kind of have to fucking do this right now because the other one was such a hit. So in 12, it's like this kind of moody, very like tone-centered film. And we're in, in Europe, so it's influenced by like French and Italian cinema. And you have these really um, extravagant score and um weird like camera angles and zooms and handheld uh cinematography and it's just i really understand why people didn't like it when it came out because it's just it's completely out there in what you'd expect and then with 13 he kind of made what people would expect they're back in vegas they're pulling off a job they're pulling off a heist they're robbing uh al pacino's diamonds and (laughs) For the most part, it's kind of like a little bit of a disposable film because, you know, there it's there's nothing really artistic about it. Mm. 12 is so risky and weird and just unexpected that there is a lot of artistic value in that film. In a fucking Oceans movie, he, he gets weird and, and moody mm. and European. Okay, so let's let's talk about Ocean's Eight because I got a, a bone to pick. You so you got back from Ocean's Eight, and uh, I was you were like, hey, we ended up seeing Ocean's Eight, and I was like, okay, yeah, how was it? Uh, should I see it for the pod? And you were like, nah, 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 I don't see it. And then you were you you were like, it wasn't that good. And then you review it and you give it four stars. So no, wait, I didn't. Oh, that's what I, eight? eight. Ocean's Eight. No, that's no, what, I didn't. Oh, oh. Shit. Well, no, I gave Ocean's 12 four stars. Well, we're going to have to find a different way to transition into Ocean's 8. Then. Okay, well, <laughs> 12 minus 4 is 8, so Ocean's 8. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Ocean's 8, Ernest? I, I did not like this movie at all. It just What did you give it? I, I don't like rating movies on Letterboxd because I find myself like... Putting myself I don't like a, a five-star rating system. I, I, I don't like putting myself in a corner, but if I had to give it a rating out of 10, I'd probably give it like a five. Damn. About a five. Um, it, it just, it lacks everything that I like about the other movies. It, it lacks the charisma, the style, the flair, the energy, the intrigue, the the cool cinematography, the angles, the just everything about those other movies that made him so appealing is completely gone from Ocean's 8. And, you know, we could get into this debate that's happening online right now about how a lot of people are saying that you're not supposed to give a critique or a view of a movie if you're not the intended audience. And we kind of had this discussion when we did Wrinkle in Time. It's like, should you really be a 12-year-old girl? Should should a 12-year-old be the only person to <laughs> give an opinion on on this movie? Yeah. And it, 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 you just kind of like start chasing your own tail. But 
I don't care if if this movie wasn't for me or not. Like, whatever. If you liked it, that's fine. You liked it. I don't care. But for me, I didn't like it. And I don't really care enough to, like, fight anyone on it. I'm not going to be like, oh, hashtag not my oceans. Like, uh, bring Clooney <laughs> back. I do, honestly, who is doing this? I, don't, I honestly <laughs> that, don't is care. Is that an internet thing? Like, is that something that's happening? I don't know. But, you know, this Ocean's 8, like... The cast is awesome. I love Kate Blanchett. I love Blanchett is amazing. Anne Hathaway in it. Um, so it is a it is a good cast to watch, but the story it just it never grabbed me. Okay, so I I'm a little bit more warm on this on Ocean's Eight. I actually I thought that it was I thought it was fun. I wouldn't say it's like a great movie or even maybe a good movie, but there are some certain parts of it that are fun. The whole thing and it's entirety i i mean i'm not like that much higher and i'd probably give it like a six to a 6.5 or so um but i still thought that it was above average there are just certain parts of it where it feels more like a knockoff oceans movie than a yeah. spinoff it's trying too which, hard to be a soderbergh thing um you said you liked Anne hathaway and i honestly i think Anne hathaway was probably the weakest part about this movie How dare you um and not her she's fine but it's the writing for her character is very bland she's given as this like very like idiotic ditzy kind of rich girl and i just did not like that at all um they're just the one of the biggest things i had with this movie is that it tries to be funny and it's just not funny it's really cringy it was like hard to watch there's point there's a part where they're like explaining tinder where uh uh, mindy culling is like explaining tinder to uh or she's getting tinder explained to her or something like that and it's just so like Oh God! Like, whenever you, I, I hate jokes that rely on you living at the time at like this certain time yeah. for you to get the joke. Like ten years from now, are people gonna, gonna be, like, be like, "What's what is tender?" Like, I don't, I don't get you know, that. Like, Lee, that's that's just stupid. I don't like that. Lee, uh, Lee saw this movie with us, and she had an interesting take. Um, she said that the intended audience for this movie is people who are really into tabloid magazines. Well, that's uh. <laughs> People who are into tabloid magazines are middle-aged women. That's yeah. their demographic. Well, yeah, so I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty... Yeah. Um, another thing that you pointed out, Ernest, is that the dresses and the fashion in this movie are amazing. Dude, Kate Blanchett, every look is yeah, amazing. Yeah, like, there are some really... Because, I mean, this takes place at the Met Gala, so, like, there has to be... Good, like, that's huge. Like, that's what yeah. it's all about, is, like, the cost, the outfits and everything, the dresses, all that good stuff. And those do look beautiful. This really showcases the Met Gala in a good way. And It's almost an ad for the Met Gala. It, it kind of is. Um, <laughs> we get some, we get a number of shots with Kim Kardashian in it. Probably, like, two too yeah, many. there's, like, three lingering shots of Kim and uh, Chloe. <laughs> other famous, and Common, Common a, is in it. That's embarrassing. <laughs> but Common is the most famous guy who's, like, not, not even, good. Not really, no, not, 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 it's not that he's not good, it's just that he's, like, he's famous for, like, being famous mostly. Yeah, it's not because of his, like, rapping or <laughs> anything, because, n- name, name one Common album. B. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I think that is one, but I... I don't remember. Someone said it. Someone was like, "I don't, I don't want a TED talk right now, dude." <laughs> glory. Con. The yeah. glory soundtrack. Um, there we go. But anyway, uh, so yeah, it sounds like you guys are both not huge on this movie. Yeah, though. I mean, Hunter I had, fun. I honestly, I had fun. I thought, I know you disagree, Ernest, but I thought that at least certain parts of the actual heist scene, I thought that those were done well. The actual semantics and the logic behind it 
is not very yeah. sound, but the logic on most heist movies isn't very sound. Not Ocean's Eleven, though. Okay, but Ocean's Eleven is kind of the pinnacle for heist movies, yeah. so I don't think that you can always compare it to, like, the best of the best heist movies. And then in, in 12, like, the the cool thing about 12 is that it doesn't work. They get, they get caught, caught, yeah. And then they're in jail, but then, hey, it turns out that was part of the plan. <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah, see, but, like, it's one of those things... That sounds stupid. Yeah. No, it, it's good. It's great. I love it. Ocean's 12 is an extremely polarizing movie. Actually, I want to rewatch 12 it's and 13, because so I don't remember anything about 12, but I remember seeing 13 whenever I was, like, a teenager, and I did not like 13 at all. Um, yeah, 13... 13 I, just seemed uh, very bland. It's, it's very, very, very just trying to rehash everything yeah, from 11. It's very unnecessary, which, honestly... It's kind of the same way I feel about Ocean's 8, except the reason why 13 just kind of edges it a little more is because you have Al Pacino and you have Matt Damon and like all of these guys that just fit so well into the story um, that's being told. So, well, speaking of performance, neither of you guys have mentioned Sandy Bullock yet. Was she good or Sandra what? Sandra Bullock was good. She, she was, was, good. She was Every, good. You know, No, the cast honest, was good. Everyone in the cast it's is It's the good. writing. It was the writing Dude, was the like, problem. There, this movie, Ocean's 8, it wants to be an Ocean's movie so bad to the point that they continuously reference uh, Danny Ocean, George Clooney's character, and how he's dead. Just having, no like, reason. shots of, like, his, like, gravestone and <laughs> One pictures, shot of his picture. Yeah, a picture of Which him. was honestly a little insulting to me. It's like, why do you even need to show his picture? Yeah, it was just, I was really expecting, like, a cameo from him at the yeah. end. Just like, you thought I was dead. And then it was going to be like, oh, set up for yeah. Ocean's 9. Now there's a man in it. I really, I think I, that... Ocean's 8 would have been better if it wasn't an Ocean's movie. If it was just a yeah, separate heist I, movie. I, I agree. had nothing to do with I Ocean's. agree completely with you. And another thing, another point that I want to say, of course we're saying this as three males, um, but I kind of find it a little bit, not insulting, because I'm not the targeted audience of that, but... I just I don't think that it's really fair to women that it's like oh yeah Ghostbusters was a huge success all right ladies now you get one the Oceans movie were a big success yeah. all right ladies now you get one like instead of actually writing original screenplays for women to star in and to really showcase themselves and have a whole franchise based off of female leads a brand new franchise instead we have to rehash something that yeah, the boys already did but that's just how Hollywood works I just don't think that I think that that's kind of unfair and like. I understand a lot of women are going and kind of championing this movie, and I don't want to dismiss that, but I just feel like it would mean more to the entire population if we got something that was original or at least kind of based on an idea, but not already a yeah. movie that's been done before, also, just with a different gender. I think it's fine if people enjoy this movie because it's not offensive or anything. No, like, there's it's, no it's, points. It's it's not insulting to your yeah, humor exactly. at any, like, to your uh, uh, intelligence at any if, point. If you like it, that's fine. But I, I think it's kind of bad that... It, fucking Hollywood suits feel the need to pander to women with movies like this well, it's, that they can't just make like women they think that women can't just enjoy like any other movie like anyone else that they have to make something that's like so specific to them it's yeah. it's a very uh current and it's a very soft form of feminism it's a very light and focus group form of feminism that is very much not what a lot of feminists do want. No, yeah, it's it's exactly like that. Like it's literally just like, all right, girls, now you have one. But it's the same thing that 
men have already done before instead of an actual original idea for women to thrive in. Yeah. Oh, and it's I say current because we are in an age where it's hard to greenlight anything yeah. original in general. And so they're like, all right, well... All right, girls. Girls want to turn to you know the girls want a seat at the table. So what do we give him? Ah, uh, okay. It's been like fifteen years since Ocean's Eleven. Should we? Should we just finally do it? Okay, yeah, okay. Just give yeah, let's do it. Yeah, throw him a bone. Throw him a fucking if, bone. If All you right. want to make a badass feminist movie that's part of a larger franchise. Just ask George Miller and what he did with Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. I hope just try to do that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that was an instance where it worked, but it wasn't trying to reinvent the exactly. franchise or anything, or like copy that. or anything. Yeah, no, it was the man who created the franchise coming back won, but also it wasn't like dismissing the events before it or like minimizing it while in a way. still making a it's new still, story. It made it in its universe, yeah, while still making an original story. Uh, I hope Captain Marvel is good. On this, Me too. On yeah. a similar note. Yeah, yeah I mean... <laughs> I love Brie Larson, that's needless to say. I, She's my Pam. Yeah, I... <laughs> You're Jim? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I agree. I also think Captain Marvel is good. But I mean, yeah, look at Wonder Woman last year. Like, Wonder Woman was an inspiration to people. I had problems with that movie. But, like, just the fact that that was able to inspire so many women and be an original, at least an original screenplay, if not an original story. Yeah. Um, All right. Before we move on. We're uh, going to take, take a break, break. But you have one more thing, right? Yeah. Before we take a break, I just wanted to briefly talk about um, or really recommend to you guys because I don't really want to discuss anything in specific because I want us to talk about this on the podcast next week since we have Jurassic World and we can talk a little bit about Jurassic World but I have a feeling that we aren't going to be absolutely enamored with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. What? So this week I got a chance to see First Reformed, the new Paul Schrader movie. Um, Paul Schrader... He's the writer of Taxi Driver, writer of Raging Bull. So he's written a few Scorsese projects. He's directed um, he's directed a few movies. Most no- recently, he directed Dog Eat Dog, um, which was a Nick Cage project that I heard was interesting. <laughs> um, so he's Sell kind it. of been he's kind of been not blacklisted, but he's been kind of out of the limelight for like 10, 20 years now at this point. Like he really hasn't made anything really noteworthy in a long time. So he calls up his buddy, Ethan Hawke. Yeah. So he calls up his buddy, Ethan Hawke. And guys, I will tell you, I've been trying to think through Ethan Hawke's career this might be his best performance I've ever seen him in. Ethan Hawke is an incredible actor. Yeah. Ethan Hawke is, is like, he's a guy who you don't want to be good. Because of he was so he was big in like the late nineties, early two thousand. It's just like this guy's like not that good looking. Like I feel like he's only in movies because he's just like a young white dude. No, he's also an incredible actor. He's... The guy who you want to hate is Paul Walker, and he's dead. Oh but no, hate away! God damn it, Drew. Paul Walker was fucking horrible. I don't care. I'm sorry. He was. He, yeah, yeah, he's he good. Was. just watch hours. Yeah, Ethan Hawke is, has talent. He's the underrated like Scotty Pippen of Training Day. Um, yeah, he really like he's unbelievable in Train Day, but and then the before trilogy, needless to say. Uh, so yeah, and so Boyhood, yeah, Boyhood, uh, yeah, it's he's incredible. So he's, anyway, I just I get excited whenever I see Ethan Hawke is in something, and this movie is kind of it's interesting that it's made by the same person who wrote Taxi Driver because. There are a ton of similarities between uh, First Reform and Taxi Driver, but at the same time, it kind of acts as like uh, like an anti-taxi driver in a lot of ways. This movie is like, it's just this ultimate exercise in restraint. There are just these 
long, long shots that the camera just stays so still and just so stagnant. And there'll even be points where cameras just focused on Ethan Hawke for so long that you like begin to like pick apart the lines in his face and everything. It's like just like you're staring at this face. It's super close up. And then there's other times where you see him and he'll walk out of the frame and the camera will still linger there for like five seconds. Um, I was listening to actually an interview with Paul Schroeder and he was kind of talking about how he had this whole idea where he just kind of wanted to take the rules that you learn in filmmaking of dynamic camera movements, the Wes Anderson way, basically, and throw all of that out the window. And while doing this, he kind of just decided, like, I'm just going to leave the camera there, despite, like, everything in me telling me I need to pan, I need to zoom, I need to do more movements to keep the energy going i'm just gonna stay right here and then leave the camera sitting there for to leave room for spirituality and to leave room for the spiritual leave a little room for jesus everything yeah Yeah. like that's but that was how it works i mean the crux of the story is about um a pastor in uh new york state who is kind of dealing with these feelings of alcoholism, of agnosticism, where he's kind of losing his religion. He's divorced. He's lost his child. He's dealing with all these things, and he comes into contact with this couple who the uh, the man is in need of... He just kind of wants somebody to talk to that the wife kind of sets him up with. They're, he just kind of needs somebody to talk to because he's this... They're both environmental activists, and he's kind of struggling with this idea of them having a child and bringing a child into the world. He's like, you know, by 2050, like all of these places are going to be underwater. Like basically we're all fucked. Why would you want to do that? No, that's, this is the first 15 minutes of the movie. Okay. I'm just setting it up for you guys. So there's, there's these moments of both religious aspects and environmental aspects that come together in this really beautiful way. This is one of the best movies of the year. Okay. Is it, is it like, your number one or what? Um, it's my number two right now behind, uh, behind Hereditary. Um, nice. But it really it's, is. It's in very, very limited showing. Yes. So. Um, so go see it soon. I know if you're in the Orlando area, it's actually getting yanked from theaters by Wednesday. Yeah. So go th- see it before then. Um, I'll, I'll do my best. I, I really want to catch it. But uh, we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to be talking Incredibles. I see you decided not to pick a 12-minute Death Heaven song. Yeah. What's up with that? Could have gone with any of them, you know? The ghetto will fellow the more. Oh, my God, they speak venomous on the boy. Oh, my Lord, my enemy is fear, and I'm sure. Oh, my God, they want the end of me because I'm pure. Oh, my Lord, discipline for the win. I just go for it. It's a trend for these men to die on their own sword. Journey far, learn who you can be, but you can learn who you are when you around family. Chip off the shoulders of soldiers on a grizzle. My granddaddy, Matt Little, married Danny Little. They passed down wisdom, blessings were given. Pray my sins don't get passed to my children. I made a killer. I'm alive like the morning star. Call Jordans for the price on stocks of what the hornets are. I need evaluations, I'm savvy, y'all. Eating foie and caviar, listen. Elemony. Don't fall too far from the apple tree. Yeah. I hate, especially their TV This podcast is sucked. not brought to you by the AV Club. But it is brought to you by A.A. Dowd. The 
he should switch gave, over. He gave should switch over to the ringer. The AA gave Incredibles to uh, B plus. No. Are right. we are we recorded right I, now? I, we're back. Oh God! Oh, we've been recording. I didn't think that you hit play. I thought so, we were gonna do a fun intro. Let's um, damn. So when the everyone knows Can now I, that in our off time we talk about even lamer shit. Fuck. Than we do on damn the air, it. which I had is fun, already lame. I had a fun story for our comeback. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, let's you wanna, let's just let's let's fucking humor hunter and let's just do it. No, so like. Went to the movies today. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There was there was a lot of kids there because it was a kids movie. How kid was it? <laughs> like about a five. Um, there were these two kids who I almost uh, started to sympathize with your story for Hereditary oh, because we're sitting there. I got to the movie uh, movie theater like 45 minutes before the movie I went to because we should talk about Incredibles 2 is doing fucking gangbusters. It's going to make like $180 million. Yeah, it's, it's killing. So, um, yeah. so a bunch of the shows that I wanted to go to were sold out. So I Same. Went, to a, went to a little bit of a later show, hang out, had a drink at the bar, and then just went and sat down my seat early. And I'm sitting there, preview start up, and there's this family that sits next to me. It's a mom and like her two sons or like son and a friend, and they're probably like 14, 15. And at this point, like, the trailers are going, and these kids are talking in full volume. Like, like how I'm talking right now into this microphone. Like, full, full volume about how Destiny is the greatest game of all time. And about how Destiny is a masterpiece. And they're like, dude, but have you played the DLC? Have you played the expansion? Dude. Dude, Destiny 2, though? Like, oh my god. And, like, just at full volume. And, like, the mom would be like, Hey, honey, like keep it down a little bit. I kept like I kept like looking over at them. Like I was like, I I don't want to do this in front of their parents. But like Yikes. I swear to God, I will shush a child. And then it started to get to the point that I felt bad because I was like, maybe this kid is like some kind of a disability or something. Like they don't realize that they're being so loud. I don't know what's worse for me as a person thinking that a person who's not disabled is disabled or like being angry at somebody who is disabled who can't control their volume level so you guys tell me basically what, so what you're what saying it, is that if you like destiny you're retarded no <laughs> no no no, no 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 if me, you're saying that you're fucked up and i'm, I'm not <laughs> fucked up for no saying i'm saying i'm not saying just talking at full volume <laughs> in a theater and then like even wherever the movie would happen there'd be certain points where the the guy would look over to his other friend it would explain what just happened in this movie. And this isn't a movie that requires So this explaining. is an ongoing thing that happened throughout the whole movie. There were certain points throughout the entire movie where this would keep happening. And it was a, at a very loud volume that it yes. happened. Yeah. No, it's like how you and I are talking right Dude, now. I would die. It was... Like, I... The, uh, I would have gotten up and moved seats, but it was a sold-out showing, um, so I could not move. Geez. So was, was that your fun story before we go into... Uh, yeah sure okay he just yeah, wanted he just wanted to ask us like what what would you do if you were faced with a dilemma that may or may not mm. involve a yeah because handicapped otherwise person? like i'm gonna look like a fucking piece of shit if i just like can you keep it down like something like that like and i look like an asshole otherwise like it's gonna kind of interfere with my movie going experience yeah. so i guess i just have to um, like suck it up and not see things every i would weekend. i think it's okay to shush someone even if they're mentally handicapped you just have to do it. That's a hot take. You right just there. have to do it in the most humane way. We possible. should edit all of this out. <laughs> this, yeah, this is good stuff. No, this is good. This is a good lead-in for our analysis. 
Um, I would, to be honest, knowing myself, I would just be quiet and try to filter out the noise. That's what I did. That's what I just kind of, I'm a very passive person. Mm. Um, especially, okay, if, it, if we were in hereditary and people were doing this and these were like grown adults, I would have shushed them or told them like, can you please shut the fuck up? Something like that. Um, <laughs> okay. maybe not that hostile, <laughs> if, but. So listeners, if you want to weigh in on this subject, would you, <laughs> would you shush a mentally handicapped person Write in a theater? In, uh, uh, we bought a mic at gmail.com. Yeah. Message us on oh, Letterboxd. Oh God. My, my Twitter, my Twitter followers are falling out by the second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hundreds and hundreds. By I'm the now second. down to like 12. What the hell happened? You lost one. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> All right. let's get into Incredibles. Let's talk a little bit about the original before we yeah. dive into we, the review. Yeah, we've done our Pixar rankings before. You had Incredibles 1 at number one yep. out of it's all my Pixar favorite. movies, which is really high. Yeah, um, and I revisited it, and it fucking holds up, man. I mean, I, it's had it, amazing. I had it in my top half. I'm a big fan of it. I really am. Okay, Hunter. so um, <laughs> I we talked about it before on the Pixar rankings. Um Incredibles as a kid it was a movie that never interested me honestly as a child I think I saw it one time which is really saying something because and you were angry about every it. Pixar movie I like I've seen every Pixar movie like you at least like a half dozen times for the most part especially older ones like this came out 2004 whenever mm-hmm. we were like all relatively young yep and I don't know what it was but something about this movie just never really clicked and I've always kind of felt like a little bit of an outcast for that because for so many people, this is one of, if not their favorite Pixar movie. And I just don't know what it is. So before going into seeing Incredibles 2, I have I bought the Blu-ray for the first Incredibles so I could just kind of revisit it, look at it in a new light. And I'm glad that I did for multiple reasons. Um, for one, Incredibles 2 picks up exactly where the first Incredibles, yeah, yeah. which off. which like, I really exactly liked. where, which was really cool. And the thing is, like, I just kind of found myself more receptive to it, to the story. I don't know if it was something about how the first uh, Incredibles movie kind of feels more like almost more like a spy James Bond movie than a superhero movie in a lot of ways, especially like with the score, the Gian uh, Giancarlo Esposito, no, G- no Gian- <laughs> Michael Giacchino, Giacchino, that's what it was. Um, Giacchino's yeah. score, like it's very almost Bond esque, and like it is. Doo, 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 doo. It's very, just, you know, spy. And I'm glad that I did revisit it because there were a lot of things, like problems I had with the movie, that going back and revisiting it weren't as big of problems. Uh, like Jack Jack always annoyed me, and he's a barely a factor in the first movie. Right. I don't know why I had such a problem with him beforehand, but. Overall, um, I like the first movie. However, my biggest takeaway from it was this is a good movie to a really good movie that I feel like has the potential to set up for a truly great sequel. I my feeling. I, um, I think Brad Bird is one of the best creative people in Hollywood. He has only made six movies, and they've all been like really creative and unique and interesting in their own respective ways. The only dud in there is Tomorrowland. And even that movie was going for some really, you you know, creative and and unique themes, even though the ending kind of shits the bed. It was something different and just kind of out there for the movie landscape. And you look at Ratatouille, you look at 
the Iron Giant, which I actually just rewatched today after like a decade and a half. Yes. That movie's a masterpiece. Yeah, I, uh, I I know you just said that you rewatched it. I just rewatched the Iron Giant too recently. Yeah. And that movie is amazing. Yeah. So, the allegories in that movie yeah. are incredible and, and timeless. And Brad Bird, you know, with all his animated movies, um, specifically with Iron Giant and Incredibles, they really appeal to adults. Like. I think the reason why Incredibles, the original Incredibles, is my favorite Pixar movie is because there's a lot of stuff in there that is just very mature. And I'm not sure if a child could even relate to that, but I admire Bird and Pixar for like not wanting to dumb down the story and hoping that there's some young minds out there that are willing to go that extra mile to try to connect with these more complex themes. It's... It's really something to to appreciate about these movies. And I think the first Incredibles, like, it's not just a spy movie or an adventure movie or an action movie. It's this really, like, honest family drama about a couple that isn't really good at what they're doing. Like, their relationship is really, really flawed. And the the way their characters are developed in that film, the, the arcs that they undergo with... Bob, you know, really suffering in this the the middle of this midlife crisis, and Helen like trying her best to keep the family together, and even Violet like coming out of her shell, and Dash like learning not to be as as aggressive and cocky. Like all of these main characters, we go on these like really intense arcs with them, and they're developed so well, and you have all of this familial relationships of happening amongst all the crazy action superhero stuff it's like two or three movies perfectly Mm -hmm. melted into one and i think it's nearly a perfect movie like i have a hard time kind of thinking about things that i would really really fault that movie on it's yeah it's not so much as things i would fault it on it's just uh i think there are several pixar movies that definitely peak higher than that one does um the original toy story yeah yeah just a a few of them i can say have had a bigger impact on me but the incredibles is an incredibly solid movie like it's just through and through like you said it's there's not a lot that you can nitpick um the humor man yeah i don't know mode yeah i'm not gonna say it's like a 10 throughout like it's not just like nonstop uh killer but it is very very impressive what they managed to do with that movie um, it was during a time where there weren't that many superhero movies out that we could kind of... It was like the beginning of yeah. the craze. It's yeah. kind of funny that that movie came out before the superhero mania. It took 14 years to get a sequel yeah. to it. Um, and leading into Incredibles 2, like I really, really like Incredibles 1, and I would probably say that I think Incredibles 2 is better. It's I think okay. it's a better movie. Okay, yeah. we I That was actually my hot take that I had. Oh, is really? Hot take. I think Incredibles 2 is better than the first Incredibles. I think it's definitely more ambitious and it is going for bigger action and bigger character moments and much more complex ideas and themes. But in going bigger, it's only natural that it is going to struggle with yeah. with that. I th- and there I are think definitely the, a couple flaws. I yeah, yeah I, think, I think the first one in comparison because it is kind of going for a much more singular refined story that it it knows exactly how to hone it in and pinpoint with like all of the all of the the bob um 
midlife crisis stuff and the syndrome stuff and the way all of that is set up and how in the beginning of the movie you kind of unravel the plot in a very natural way Mm. that just progresses through the whole movie and you it just all clicks i think it does that a lot better than the second one i think the second one um even though i adored incredibles 2 i think it i just couldn't say it's better just because it is trying to do more like i appreciate its ambition and i loved experiencing it and seeing it but it it doesn't top the high highs of the first one in my opinion okay i mean that's that's understandable um i do kind of disagree just a little bit uh for a couple of factors for one um the highlight of this movie is the main character is really Elastigirl, which is really cool just to see we even have these like this conversation between her and um the character i'm just gonna refer to her as halle berry for the rest of the podcast because her animated figure is she looks exactly like halle berry yeah, but bob she's odenkirk's not. she's not actually played by halle berry yeah. but that's exactly what her character is based off of regardless they're talking about how just kind of like she's always been in mr incredible shadow because she's a woman and they have this whole dynamic of this female in power and at the same time you see Mr. Incredible just like at home being Mr. Mom and this really funny way and he's trying to do his best and he even is succeeding in some ways but it's also in ways that are like sacrificing his body that you just see him so beaten down despite the fact that he's helping Dash with his homework and trying to fix Violet's boy problems and taking care of this little baby Jack-Jack like he's trying to do it all and he's being a good father at the same time but it's just wearing on him so much and I thought that that was really cool that was my favorite aspects of the movie at the same time though I coming out of this movie my first thought was that this is probably had some of the best action movie moments oh my god there's an ant on my mic oh shit (laughs) I've been watching that and, and oh my God. So I've been watching this and not saying anything to Hunter. Oh Jesus. Okay. The, the so anyways, um but this movie had some of the best action movie moments that I've seen in a film in years. Oh yeah. Like forget about it being an animated movie. Like this movie is the, so beautiful to look at and like, like the the set pieces are so cohesive, which is like not something that you can say. We have Marvel movies which can use all kinds of unbelievably expensive CGI to make things look seamless and everything else. But this movie, coming out of this movie, another one of my thoughts was, God, they should never make a Fantastic Four live-action movie again. Because we see, when you're watching animated Elastigirl, you're like, all right, this is believable, this is cool. But then just imagining, like, what if Incredibles was live-action? Like, that would just look so silly. It would just look so silly. Yeah, I, I'm, obviously one of the like main, main takeaways from this movie is incredible action sequences. It's a great-looking movie in general. I would say the action is a pretty decent deal better than the first one. I would also say it's a good bit funnier than the first one. Um, Definitely a lot more jokes. All, all, yeah, all of the sequences... Anything involving Craig T. Nelson playing Mr. Mom is, I think, gold. Like, I I was really surprised it didn't get old because that is an old trope of, like, the the guy taking care of the kids and the wife calls, like, is everything okay? And everything's chaotic. And he's like, uh, I guess. (laughs) Like, that could be really shitty. And it was just, it it all worked. I want to give shouts to Craig T. Nelson in particular. I think he has an an unbelievable voice. And he has great, great comedic timing. Um, And the two actors who played the kids... It, that was all just knocked out of the park. Uh, we we get more Jack Jack in this, which is another thing that I think I really did not think was going to work for me because I typically don't like 
uh, when there is a you know non-speaking small character in it's something, like, it's a cheap shot. It's yeah. the it's the token Pixar cute slash funny yeah. character. It's that's usually, in every Pixar. Movie. Exactly like the the silly dog in Coco or whatever. Yeah. Jack Jack is not that. Jack Jack is s- such an integral part of this movie, uh, and the humor revolving around that character didn't get old for me either. And that's what I was surprised by with this movie is it kept things that I. Imagining in my head when I was like thinking incredible sequel, I was like, all right, well, it's going to be a lot of Jack Jack. Uh, it's going to be probably a role switch between uh, Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl because that's what a lot of sequels do. Like 22 Jump Street, for example, mm-hmm. they switch who has the high status in the couple of Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. Exact same thing here. Um, but that all really worked for me. Um, the only shortcomings, which I I. Th- I've only read like one review and it said a similar thing was with how the villain played out. Yeah, yeah. okay, that was actually That's something that we'll get into spoilers, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. think we're I think we're kind of on the same page on that because the the way it's set up, it's not as surprising as maybe it should no, be. No, it's definitely a twist that you see yeah, coming from a yeah. mile away. Um also, uh, shouts to Bob Odenkirk for getting in the mix in this movie. I love him in yeah. this. He, he's yeah, great. he's great. He looks like himself. His character <laughs> looks like Bob Odenkirk and acts like Bob Odenkirk yeah. in terms of sliminess. Um, and if there's any slight twist, it's how his character plays out, in my yeah. opinion. I was expecting something different from him. Um, but yeah, it's this is really... I, this movie surprised me because for some reason I I was... It's really is because when you imagine the set pieces of this movie, they could very easily have gone stale because the ideas behind them are kind of stale. But the execution was just absolutely killer in all of them. You know, one of the things is is this movie starts out with a big set piece. And I kind of thought that we were going to be because in every Marvel action movie that we have, we have usually the basic setup is big or semi-big set piece in the beginning. We'll get like a little one in the middle and then the big finale at the end. Yeah. This movie had like was littered with set pieces throughout. Mm-hmm. And I love that. That like it always we have this awesome back and forth between seeing the domestic life of Craig T. Nelson at home taking care of the kids and also Elastigirl just being a badass going out there trying to hunt these baddies. And I thought that that really helped the pacing that this movie never drags at any point that I'm going to be honest, even the first Incredibles, like whenever they get on the island and they're doing the whole mission, drag things, a little bit. it drags a little bit for me because yeah. they're fighting a robot, which I know it's somebody controlling the robot, mm-hmm. of course, as the movie goes on. But like at the same time, they're still fighting a robot. Mm-hmm. And like, I just feel like this movie had more inertia throughout it that kept it yeah. going um, from scene to scene. Yeah, so, uh, I know we're getting deep into the movie talk, but did you guys get the little message before the movie? Yes. Yep, uh, that was kind of a thank you for coming to the What movies. did you guys think about that? I liked it. I didn't get it. Oh, I saw it at it? a it was, shitty theater. It was so. all the actors, in, like Craig T. Nelson and Sam Jackson and Holly oh, Hunter, yeah. all just being like, hey, we know it's been 14 years, but, but hey. Like, it's worth the wait. Freaking enjoy. Yeah. Nice. And I I don't know. I Like, it's... I could ju- I just imagine like a six year old seeing Craig T Nelson and being like what who the fuck is that yeah. <laughs> like it, it just was seemed yeah. a little weird well because we should kind of say like one of the things about this movie um for better or for worse is this movie is kind of made for like our generation more so than the kids right um and I think that that message was meant for our generation that have been asking for an incredible sequel for years and years and then it Decade never came until now and I feel like that was kind of a message of just like. Brad Bird told them, like, it's interesting. I was, um, excuse me, 
I was listening to an interview with Brad Bird did where he was talking about he's just like a lot of people like the way that they think about their films is like kind of just like it's very linear and he was just like I feel like the way that my brain works is like an airport hangar where I have all these other projects happening at the same time and I'm putting them together like he's able to work on multiple projects at once and the reason why this film took so long to come together is because he couldn't really figure out exactly what the whole villain storyline he wanted to do Mm -hmm. was and that was one of the things that delayed it for so long and then he got caught up doing Ghost Protocol and Tomorrowland all these other ideas before he came back to Incredibles 2 which honestly I kind of am glad that he went and did Ghost Protocol because it looks like he took kind of that directing style that he and some of that that progress that he learned from directing an actual action movie and brought that mm. to this, this film. Yeah, Incredibles 1 does a very good job of utilizing every power that every individual character has in a creative way. And this movie just blows that up to the like highest extent. It maximizes it's it. It's so imaginative with every single skill that every mm. character has. It makes use of everyone and it's and it's in such a yeah. visually appealing way i was blown away i think it's safe to say that we all love this and we all recommend it yeah, yeah. i was um, i was surprised i did i did have some problems with it but most of them are spoiler yeah involved. let's let's unlike, get into spoilers yeah unlike you drew i jack jack did kind of wear me a little bit thin at certain points okay but, um you guys just want to give oh, ratings move on it's this like a nine for me i mean the yeah. the wow. the first one is like almost a 10 to me it's like a 9.5 so this one's just like right up there with it like a okay strong eight to a well, nine okay so the first one for me is like an eight something and then this one is probably like an 8.9 to a nine like it's it's way up there i i enjoyed this movie like almost entirely this was an incredibly solid movie it surprised me uh, it's surprising me how well it's doing at the box office, and it's screwing over my summer movie wager list. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna be up there with Avengers. Yeah, I think. and it like, and it deserves it, and it deserves it more than Deadpool, and it deserves it more than Solo, and it deserves it more than Solo. Finding Dory, which was the highest never grossing. This is Pixar movie. yeah, this is a movie that deserves ev- all the success that it gets. Um, I give the first Incredibles after reviewing it, rethinking it. I give it like a seven point five. I still think it's a good film. Um, this I'd probably give like an eight to an eight point five. I really, I really enjoyed this film a yeah, lot. Yeah, very, very fun movie. All right, let's get to spoilers starting now. Um, so let's talk about the big twist of the screen slaver. So Halle Berry. Okay, first of all. Horrible, horrible, horrible villain name. Yeah. This movie is set in the 1950s. Screensaver was not a term back then. I think it's set in like the... It's not I, set in the it's 50s. This, I, Either way, they set, have computers. I don't think that it's actually set in any kind of real time period because it's like this retro futuristic yeah. I know, but world. That, that they, have. That they, just, have a, they have a hover monorail system. I know, like, but that completely took me out of it just because the, the, the aesthetic of it at the very least is retro modern 50s and Screenslaver... I was like, woof. Not that that's a big deal. I was so, just like, come on. I think the the big, big kind of critique that I got to give this movie is that there are so many cool ideas packed into it that none of them really get the chance to evolve that much. And a lot of them are with the screen slaver. Like, there's this big monologue that he gives um, 
when Elastigirl is like trying to pinpoint his location yeah, and oh. she's chasing after him. And that whole monologue is like basically Brad Bird just like writing out this big paragraph of like, just like you want everything handed to you. Like it that, was that he wants this movie to be about like so many different cool ideas that the movie could have kind of taken and run with, but it never really does. Like the idea uh, that he says, of superheroes being a coping mechanism for our society that we are weak yeah we, that we are obsessed with superheroes because we're weak and we can't face our, our problems ourselves like yeah. the if the movie would have been about that i would have been over the moon by it and i still really really loved this movie and thoroughly enjoyed it but i think it got a little bit bogged down by how much he was trying to put into it how many big ideas he was kind of like introducing um it's not it doesn't really like sink the movie too much it just kind of like makes my mind wander a little bit like huh why why do you feel the need to like kind of like flood us with all of this if you're not really going to explore it as yeah, much as I, you could. Yeah, I think there could have been a couple more minutes getting into that because that is a, a very standout moment to me in that it was so underplayed because visually we're watching Elastigirl like journeying in a, through an incredible cityscape. Yeah. And it's so visually stimulating and then like you're like, oh yeah, this monologue is like very profound. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and that's like, that's kind of one of the things that I thought was really cool about because like for kids they're just looking at like, whoa, whoa, whoa and, and like you're like, like listening to it and you're like, Ooh, like, damn, this I, is like fucking sleep. Yeah, is, is this Mr. Robot? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I do agree. And then obviously we have Jen Aniston uh, as who turns out to be the villain role. Uh, no, it's uh, it's Catherine Keener. That wasn't Jen. It's Aniston? Halle Berry. It's Catherine Keener Guys. who is the mom in Get Out. Yeah, I know who Catherine Keener is. I've just never been wrong about a voice before, and I'm triggered. Um, <laughs> but okay, I. I think it's the the writing of the character's fault, but she was never particularly compelling. You never trusted her. No. Uh, you know what Well, I mean? for a while there, it seemed like it was going to be set up to be Bob Odenkirk to take the turn to be the yeah, bad guy. Yeah, but that always seemed like a... Like it was too the, obvious. It was always like exactly. the, so then I thought, the obvious misdirection. I thought that maybe it would be both collaborating That's on what, it. Well, that was my assumption, that it would be both, uh, and I was just waiting for it. But so the reveal that it's just one of them isn't that big of a reveal if you think it's both of them. You know but what I, I mean? But I kind of uh, see the scene where you actually find out that it's her. I kind of appreciated that it was earlier in the movie than I expected it to yeah. be. And it was done in a way that it kind of like did it and then moved on to the next thing. And it didn't really dwell upon mm -hmm. it too much. Um, also, I do want to give a shout out to the visuals of the screenslaver. Uh, that he puts on the yeah. screen, pretty pretty unsettling. It has been getting uh, some backlash from people who want a seizure warning for this movie. Yeah, yeah, no, I actually at the movie theater today that I went to, they had a seizure warning for yeah. Incredibles because too. it is. I mean, even for it's just me, effect, it's, it's like, like <laughs> it was like tough to look at at points, and also it just had a pretty good like unsettling effect in terms of the people's blank faces staring. Uh, into the screens and then the the bright lights i was i was pretty impressed by that and then obviously when she's in the you know the fake layer of the actual screen slaver it, it, it's up to 11 on that shit and she get yeah and she gets caught and the yeah. whole room is like lit up i thought that was like very surprisingly cool looking yeah um, it's not something that you would have expected going yeah. into a Pixar movie. So I enjoyed that. The mechanisms of the villain herself, I was not super impressed by. Her, the glasses invention she's made that enslaves people. Very SpongeBob the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if you guys yeah. noticed that. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Um, I, 
I do agree. I almost just feel like we needed like one more scene that wasn't just an exposition dump after she's already been caught of her saying like, like her kind of under the shadow of her brother, like talking about more, just kind of showing more of like her versus her brother's views about how like how superheroes aren't really the saviors and really like superheroes are the reason why her parents died like yeah i feel like if we would have gotten just like maybe one more yeah. scene because make theme, her just a little bit more relatable the theme is there like yeah it, the the movie presents the theme of like the bob odin it's just a little bit clumsily handled yeah ha- uh, hanging on to superheroes in relation to his dead yeah parents. and it did i think that that did suffer because a lot of those realizations happened in the middle of a massive uh climactic set piece on the ship out in the ocean yeah and so we did didn't get a good scene where he's just looking at his sister like how could you do this this mm-hmm. is the one yeah. thing I that would have been the, the scene yeah. kind of wrap like it up. two minutes um that that would have really added a lot um but with that said i did i enjoyed that bob odenkirk wasn't the villain because i would have just rolled my eyes to the back of my head because it, he would have essentially been syndrome in a way yeah. because he you know he was when he, obsessed with mr Incredible yeah like the, and... literally the first thing he says when they meet him is i love heroes yeah. <laughs> and it's like oh this guy's a villain <laughs> yeah so um, i was kind of glad he wasn't um i don't know i um, love syndrome quickly, from the first one yeah he this was, doesn't I mean, was great. this doesn't beat syndrome no syndrome yeah. yeah absolutely that was yeah. the one that was the one thing that i do think it has over um, it quickly uh, i just want to give a shout out to the team of heroes that they assembled um void which has like one of the coolest fucking yeah. superpowers where was, she can just literally open up a void to like other dimensions it was like and portal shit through. yeah it was portal she was a portal character yeah. also very, um very well visualized my uh, my favorite joke in the movie was uh from the character reflux oh yeah. who said it was like oh my name's reflux medical condition or superpower <laughs> you decide <laughs> like that was great yeah. and he just like v- like has like really bad fucking gerd to the point that he's like vomiting fire. I was like, that's me as a superhero yeah. with my with my acid reflex. The, see, yeah, reflux was funny, and th- throughout the rest of that scene where they meet the heroes, I really like. I was kind of disappointed by that scene. I was like, none of these heroes are particularly interesting. But that's the whole thing is that they're all like B list superheroes. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. It's just like I was expecting. Like we, we have Owl Man. <laughs> just because the the movie was so funny, I was like, why isn't this funny? And I, the void scenes were cringe. I mean, she was supposed to be a cringy character. She was yeah. supposed to be like, oh, I'm just so awkward. But I just didn't like her at all yeah. in any way. Uh, so the the first movie has a lot of parallels to Watchmen. Um, I don't know if you guys are really familiar with Watchmen, but the whole oh, yeah, idea of, of like superheroes being outlawed, like yeah, that's yeah. a that's a, a main point. And in this movie, you know, the the plot really dives into that and the idea of like makes superheroes legal again. And I think that little details like that that carry over from the first one in terms of the themes and the character arcs are what bolster this movie up. So in terms of like the Watchmen parallel, um, you have these like heroes that are kind of trying to return to the limelight and trying to find their place Mm -hmm. and coming into a dated world. But the way Incredibles does it, like it's so vibrant and really visually inventive to the point where like I feel like I could only see this in a movie like this yeah. and it becomes its own thing and and it's so much better than anything Marvel has done like yeah, Marvel is killing it with the Avengers but they're not it, it, their visual style will never 
parallel to what this movie is doing. It's it's really yeah. incredible. The, I mean, the elevator pitch of the movie originally was what if heroes had to work desk jobs? Yeah. Basically, the the visual, if Brad Bird had to pitch one image, it would be Mr. Incredible in that cubicle. Yeah. You know? Um, and that re- that still does carry over into the second one. I'm I was so glad that it picked up r- exactly where the first one left yeah. off, man. Like it's that, a bold choice. I know, and works. I thought that was so cool. I thought it was hilarious how much the the boy that Violet likes mm-hmm. it plays into this movie. I was like, what this guy? Yeah. yeah, and he's just like a pretty uh important part of the movie. I love that first scene, the interrogation scene. That was really cool because you're cool. just set up in it, and like I didn't recognize who it was at yeah, first exactly. until he steps into the light again. I did just watch Incredibles before it, so by the end of the scene, I recognized who it was but like it took me a minute to just be like is that like yeah. a good guy is that a bad guy what exactly is going on here yeah um i did i do think it's kind of funny that they basically like in the beginning they kind of signed like the circovia accords the equivalent of that yeah. and now they have like the the negation of that yeah so it's, it's, it's a little bit of parallels to marvel timeline. and i think it i think it's better in every well, way another interesting thing that this movie uh did was it had a lot to say about marketing yeah, like that, yeah. I thought that that was and like the life of a businessman ex- and how like, skeevy that is. Bob Odenkirk's monologue about perception was not just mumbo jumbo. It was like business school shit. Yeah, it was like what they teach you when you go to marketing school. Like perception is more important than reality. All we need to change is how people view you and they will change their opinion of you. I thought that that was really I, it was it was a lot more real than it needed to be. Mm. And just the general idea of this guy who runs a telecom company uh, leveraging his power to get something he wants. Like it was just so it was it was a lot more realistic than I, I really thought this movie would be, especially considering the fact that it's, uh, you know, a large part of it was just basically uh, sitcom set pieces with the family messing around, which I also love. But it just it also just happened to have a lot of big things to say i just yeah i do think that this movie because the first incredibles uh like you touched on earlier Ernest, like there are some real points to it where it is it's kind of really dark and adult for a kid's movie and i think that this movie kind of it even furthers all of that with having all these grand ideas that would go right over a kid's head like they're just looking at superheroes punching each other and then oh we got the funny baby like that's just it's a movie that works for both but I think that it almost works better as a film for adults because there are these very deep seated messages to it that apply to adult society yeah and again I want to I just got to mention like if I read the beat sheet of this movie I would not want to watch it just because of all the domestic stuff that's happening, I would be like, I've seen that in a million different movies and TV shows. I would not enjoy that. And it's so separate from the superhero stuff. And the fact that they kept that fresh just kind of blew my mind. And it's a testament to a, the visual stylings of particularly how they did Jack Jack, the entire scene with the raccoon. I, if I heard about it, I would hate it. And when I watched it, I loved it. Like it was so creatively shot and so well thought out. I, I was just kind of in awe because any like the stuff with uh baby Groot in Avengers two, I was like, get this he it's too much. Get him off the screen. He's, in Guardians, Guardians two? two. No, in Avengers two. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> in Guardians two. It's just it can be too much with the cute little character, but they really utilized him. Him and Edna teaming up, I thought was 
that was brilliant. Yeah, that, that was, was great. That was I wanted a little more Edna in this. She was like my favorite <laughs> I, part of the first one. I liked it because like I like Edna whenever she's just left in like small doses. She's she's the Han Solo of the <laughs> yeah. movies. Don't give me an Edna movie, but just give me those little bits of her as yeah. a side character. And, and then the other testament to why all that stuff worked so well is genuinely uh, Craig T. Nelson. He... If anyone doesn't know, he's, I mean, he's a long, long, long time acting veteran. He's not just a voice actor. He was on the show Coach, which he starred in. It was a sitcom for like nine years uh, on NBC. He has timing down so good, even though it was voice acting, even though he may have been in a different booth. Like every single Craig T. Nelson joke, every line he read landed, and he was the anchor of that entire mm-hmm. sequence. You had to sympathize with him and you had to laugh at him, yep. or else none of that stuff worked. And, and that's half the movie. And, I think what makes these characters so resonant and relatable and sympathetic is that they're so flawed. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Incredible but Bob, like he is not good at this, but he wants his wife like we're coming off of the first one and Helen's whole arc in this first one is to like realize herself as a more independent, like self-actualized person and mm-hmm. not be like this selfless mother figure that is yeah. only there to protect her family. So building off of that, she comes into this movie and she's off on her own adventure that he wants her to have that. So he has to stay home and take care of the kids and he is not good at it. Yeah. And he struggles with being a, 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 a pretty much looking at himself as an incompetent father and also like trying to see the side of himself that he worked so hard in the first movie to achieve, which is to go back to that heroic side. So it's like he, he wants that midlife crisis fulfillment of being a hero again, mm. but he can't have it because he wants, he loves his wife and he wants their marriage there is, to be okay. There is a great moment towards the end of the film where they like, he kind of pauses and says like, there's one thing that's like the most important thing that like I have to do or something along those lines. And like, it's set up like, Everything that you've known about him and seen so far is just like being a hero and saving people, but it's just like being a good father. Yeah. And that like showed just this great transformation that this film. Yeah, it's it's human characters. And I think a lot of superhero or or action movies, they forget to have that aspect in their stories, to to show the characters in a way that we can really, really relate to them. And how much better do you do that than just to have a family doing family stuff? Yeah. It's it yeah, they Another thing that honestly played into the emotional uh, appeal, in addition to largely the humor of this movie, is uh, I don't know. I'm not like into the nuts and bolts of the technology of the animation that they use at Pixar, but they did a lot more with facial expressions in this movie Mm -hmm. that made every character more interesting to me. Well, that was something that really was on display in Coco like last year that yeah. like you see every line on their face yeah. and, like when they cry it looks like yeah. you're looking at a human face yeah. crying. Like it's like that same kind of feeling and they just Pixar is they're really they hit a really big slump for a few years um except for Inside Out. They were like trying to rehash Cars and Brave. all these other movies Brave that were just not really great films and now we've got two pixar movies in a row that are both awesome yeah this movie is great my nutshell review of this movie is really like if i told someone about it i like if someone told me about it 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 wouldn't work in my head Mm -hmm. and yet it works because it's so uh passionately and creatively and intelligently made um 
I really want to see it again. Yeah, no, I uh, I'm looking forward to taking yeah. Gaia to go see it, just because Same. I really think that's going to be a movie that holds up over time. Um, if we are kind of done giving our overall thoughts on the movie, can we talk a little bit about Bow? The Did you short, the beforehand? short, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really touching. I it it jerked a little tear out of me. Um, I it thought, was really well done. So I thought yeah. it. Uh, I thought it started really poorly. Uh. Like in the very beginning, the way it starts, which I know the rule with short films is rip your first two pages off and then start there. But it really just starts so suddenly that you're like, what? The bun is just a baby now. Like, <laughs> yeah, it I mean, was real. Like, it was just so. Would you rather have had that or the frozen 20 minute oh, short? Me. No, I know. I know. But that was just a leap that took maybe a minute or two. And then you see they're going, you know, they're going through the stages of childhood and you're like, OK, I get it. I get it. I get it. And then comes the the twist, which I guess we won't spoil, even though it's a short film. But it, it, I mean, we're in the spoil spoiler section of the podcast yeah, so, so can we spoil seen... it because there were audible what the in my theater like whenever that happened including like a <laughs> little bit by myself it wasn't as audible but i was like what the fuck like oh my god what just well, happened first of all it was i laughed really hard when she just ate it because yeah, yeah exactly bow eating bow. because yeah because i knew she was going to i was like this ends with her eating that fucking kid <laughs> um and then the real twist where she has a son who she went through all those stages with and she's this is like some fucked up psychological yeah. coping mechanism that was really really good this this turned into something that i really enjoyed i i thought that it was really good it's definitely probably gonna be it honestly it's pixar so it'll probably win the oscar for best yeah. anime made short film um and like it was good like i can't i don't really have any major complaints about it um i did a. I just I think that it is cool that Disney is I mean they're starting to be a show a bit more inclusion everything like despite being a short film the last film that we saw Coco was made by a primarily Hispanic staff and even if it is just the short film Bao was written and directed by an Asian man like that's just really cool yeah. that like Disney is allowing uh, workers of color to work on all these different projects yeah. and uh, Frozone is actually played by Samuel L. Jackson whoa, whoa what that's that's fun. and we still have haven't seen his wife yeah yeah and, but they did include the fact that her name is literally honey because yeah. of the you know the, the line honey, honey where's my yeah. super suit which is pretty funny <laughs> yeah. honestly that is pretty we didn't funny. really talk about frozone too much i hey I, he's in the mix and yeah, i'm, I I'm there it. for it i, I we it. get more frozone in this movie than we do in the first one yeah. which i like i mean i was glad to see sam jackson in there like just kind of doing his thing he, yeah. was, he was good like he was part of that trio between mr incredible and elastigirl that was invited to that mm -hmm. corporate retreat in the per first place yeah as, as we wrap up i i just want to say that like the movie it, it it I had high expectations for it just because I love the first one so much um, that I really thought it met those expectations. Even though it's not better than the original, I'm really happy that it, it met the high expectations I had for it and that it delivered as a sequel, as an action movie, as a Pixar movie, a superhero movie, like everything, all of the crazy things it's trying to juggle, it did really, really, really well. And I, I loved it for it. It's, it's in my top three right now. Who knows if it'll stay up there. I think that um, I haven't actually made, I haven't put it in my list yet, but it's definitely going to be in my top five yeah the year so far great movie man all right let's uh let's wrap it up you can email us at we bought a mic at gmail.com and check us out on twitter instagram facebook at we bought a mic all those links down below and what do you guys want to plug um you can check me out on letterbox 
and at Twitter on at Hunt Mobley. Um, been doing lots of movie reviews. You can check out did a little review uh, for First Reformed and some other things that I've been watching this week. So uh, go ahead and check it out. Yeah, I'm uh, at Drew Dietzen, D-I-E-T-Z-E-N, on uh, Twitter, on Letterboxd. I'm at Drew D. I don't really post on there, but I, I you know, hey. Hey, give me a follow. One of these years, I'm going to start. Just um, like all of Colin's reviews. One of yeah, these yeah. lifetimes. Um, uh, I'm at uh, Drew Dietzen on Spotify. I have a bunch of playlists on there. I, most of the yep. music that we discuss is included in those playlists, yeah. so check those out, too. Cool, cool, cool. And I'm at Caldernist on social media. Including Letterboxd, where I wrote a little review for um, The Iron Giant, which I rewatched today. Great, great movie. So, yeah, I'll be updating that. Next week, we got Jurassic World. We don't have to do that to ourselves. We really don't. We don't have to, but we will. Is this Deaf Heaven? Um, No. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll uh, see you next week. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Oh, yeah, Preachers next week, too. Later.